Let us then not be ashamed to confess the crucified. Be the cross our seal, made with boldness by our fingers on our brow, and in everything, over the bread we eat, the cups we drink, in our comings and our goings, before our sleep, when we lie down, when we awake, when we are traveling, and when we are at rest. Yeah, you've got on a boat with a goat right there. You've got in a house with a mouse, um, (laughs) in a car, by the bar. Welcome to another gainfully employed episode of On the Journey with Matt and Ken. I'm Matt Swaim along with my colleague Ken Hensley. We've been digging That's deep good. into the dumpster behind Ken's spiritual house uh, over the past several episodes, and we're going to do more of that today. Yeah. But before we do so, I want to remind you that this is a production of the Coming Home Network. You can find us at chnetwork.org for lots and lots of stories, including much more of Ken's backstory. And um, I want to make sure that I mention that the only reason we're able to do this is because of the generous support of a number of people over the years who have donated. We don't really have anything to sell, so um, it's uh, donations that sort of run our operation. So if you are feeling generous and uh, you know have something that you're able to contribute to the mission, go to chnetwork.org and uh, click on the donate button. It would be so helpful. And if you're a person who's in need of help, yep. um, that's what we do. So we do a lot more of that than we do making YouTube shows. So go to community.chnetwork.org and join our online community of people who are at all various uh, stages in the game when it comes to exploring the Catholic faith. Ken Hensley, when we left you, uh, we got you in the church, basically, but there's this whole question of what are you going to do now and uh, finding a home <laughs> in the church. And, and a lot of people think, that what we do is just get people in the door, but the bulk of what we do is help people figure out, you know, where everything is once they become mm-hmm. Catholic. That's mm-hmm. a big part of it, and I know it was a big part of it for your journey. Yes, yes, it was. And, I, you know, today I, I feel like I'm going to have to hold myself back from beginning to speak like an auction, you know, one of those guys that call at an auction, because I'm basically trying to wrap up a story today, which means 25 years as a Catholic now in one 30, 35 minute session with you. Okay. So, um, today is focused on the good news and anyone who wants to understand what came before this, I think this is episode, whatever, you know, eight or nine in the series that I've been giving, telling my story. So please go back. Cause I can't recap everything. But last week we talked about the bad news as, as it were out of the frying pan into the fire. Um, walking down into the valley of the shadow of death, the difficulties faced in becoming Catholic. And this week I want to tell the good news, okay, where things have gone from that time. And I hope to summarize it under six or seven, whatever it is, points. And um, okay, I will roll if you are ready. I mean, I, I have I to make ready, sure you're ready. Ken. I always have Fire to. away. I'm, I'm, I'm always are, ready to hear whatever drama you but want are you to really ready? me. So. <laughs> are you well, really ready? This is the Baptist no, preacher and you coming out. Are you really ready? <laughs> Raise your hand if you're ready. <laughs> I see that hand um, with every okay. with every head bowed and every eye, clo- eye closed. I see that hand. I yeah, there that you hand. go. There you go. Um, okay, let me begin with my wife Tina. 
as I mentioned last week and maybe the week, week before, maybe three weeks ago, when I began to study the Catholic faith, Tina thought that I was insane. She, she just could not believe what I was doing. And for the longest time, for a couple of years, it was extremely difficult uh, to even talk together about this subject because she was just so focused in on the practical ramifications that if I really was on my way to becoming Catholic, what would that mean? I'd have to resign my ministry. We lose our income. We lose our life. Um, we lose many of great friends that we had built during that time. So anyway, over the course of the years that I was studying, uh, stu studying, Tina, Tina was learning and we were having many conversations and she was moving in the direction of understanding the things that were being said and I think being drawn toward the truth and beauty of the Catholic faith. But there was sort of a bottom line and that is as long as I was still pastoring that church and as long as she was still in that church, um, she, she wasn't free to, just, to really sit down and think about it. It, it, she, it, there was just too much clouding um, psychologically, emotionally, the whole situation. So it was only after we left the church, Matt, that Tina felt the freedom to really think about the case for the church and be open to it and be open to being led to it. Okay? So that's the first thing. So what did we do? This is a funny story because when I walked out of that church that day, I had no idea what I was even going to do. I had no idea. Uh, I thought, well, where do we go? You know, what do we do? Do I just walk into a Catholic church? What do I do? And I remember I, dr I drummed up my, own, my old friend, Scott Hahn. I called him on the phone and I basically said, Scott, okay, what do I do? Um, do you know anyone in Los Angeles? Are there any connections that you could make? Because I, I just don't really know where to start. Anyway, he told me a priest to call that he knew in LA was a very good priest. So I called that priest and I asked him what I should do. And he led me to St. Charles Borromeo, a parish in North Hollywood, and um, where he said that there was a good priest who was very, uh, very orthodox and who loved the idea of converts to the Catholic faith and that he would work with us. So we went to St. Charles Borromeo. Now, this is kind of a famous parish in a, in a way. This is in North Hollywood. Um, this is the parish that is famous as being Bing Crosby's church when he was alive. Um, it was Bob and Dolores Hope's church when they lived in the San Fernando Valley. I, I guess Bob Hope owned about almost the entire San Fernando Valley when it was just farmland. But anyway, his wife, Dolores Hope, was still there. So we started going to this parish, and it was a beautiful church, a large, just a gorgeous church, Matt. And Dolores Hope was still sitting there, you know, in the front row at morning mass. And... Um, and you'd find yourself with movie stars. Like I remember going to I remember going to mass one Sunday, and Anthony Garcia was sitting over to our left. You know, so is that is that kind of thing, you know, where Hollywood Catholics went, and um, that that's where we went. And they had a very large uh, RCIA program, which was good. I had mentioned last week that there were two families from the church I pastored who who wound up coming with us, so they came to RCIA with us. There's probably about 60, 70 people in this RCIA class. It was really done well. And so it, it was a time where over the course of months um, together, me and Tina and our friends from the church and many new friends that we were meeting there were learning more about the Catholic faith and um, making some friends. And we really started to feel at home in the church so that um, when, e when Easter Vigil came of 1997, as I mentioned last week, when we all stood there together and, uh, you know, con confirmation is the one that just really hit me out of the out of the out of right field in a way. I'm not sure I thought a lot about what that was. I mean, I knew what it was, 
but I didn't realize what it would mean when it happened. When we were standing there that night and, and, and the pastor of that church traced the sign of the cross on my forehead with the oil, you know, and he said, be sealed with the gift of the Holy Spirit. It was just like I was in heaven, despite all the other things that were falling apart in my life and they were really troublesome. It was great. And so we were starting to feel at home in the church, even with the bad situations that I outlined in some detail last week, including my work situation. Okay. So it's funny so that you on. mentioned that, you know, 60, 70 people coming into a church in Hollywood, you know, there are a lot of middle America, you know, parishes who you assume that that's like a godless place who'd be like, man, we could take 60 or 70 at our church. You know, I mean, it's, I think it's easy to forget that, you know, I give you a hard time about being from California mm. all the time, but like, you know, people are people, Yeah. you know, people are seeking God all over the place. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I've seen RCIA classes with only five people in in, there, in since then, so I thought six, 60 was pretty big. So like yours was like 600 pretty good numbers. That's pretty good numbers. There was like four or five of us. Yeah. So. Yeah, okay. All right. Okay, as for my work situation, you know, I, I painted that in the direst of, the direst, is that a color? The, the direst of terms last week. Um, as I became a headhunter, and I was working 100% commission job, you know, cold calling the whole bit. And I, I outlined all the horrors last week in, a, in the episode that we did. But I do want to say this. Oh, well, first of all, there was a funny joke at the time, too, which I still think is kind of funny. And that is that Ken Hensley had been a fisher of men for 11 years as a pastor. And, and I, I quit that and I become a headhunter. <laughs> fisher of men to headhunter. That was the progress in my, in my, uh, uh, in my employment life. All right. So I'm a headhunter now, and I'm a headhunter in the medical field and all that. Okay, it, it was hell. It was something I couldn't believe I was doing. <coughs> it was something that was really hard for me to do, the cold calling. And it is true that it was four months of working full-time before I made a dime. But by the, by the end of my first year headhunting, I, I was earning twice what I had earned as a pastor. And by the end of my second year of headhunting, I was earning three times as much money as I had made as a pastor. And I mentioned that as a word of encouragement because I work with a lot of pastors now in the Coming Home Network who are really afraid, who are sincerely afraid. If I, They're convinced of the truth of the Catholic faith, but they're afraid. If I leave what I do, uh, my occupation, the only thing I've known, how in the world will I make a living? And I, I, I just want to, I guess, send out that word of, occur of encouragement that I had no idea how I would make a living. And the thing I began to do to make, make a living was something so distasteful to me. I thought I was in a horror show. I thought my life was a living horror show. But it panned out. I ended up headhunting for 11 years after that. I ended up building my own little headhunting firm, if you will. And financially, um, you know, earning three, sometimes four times as much as I was earning as a pastor um, per year. And when I was thinking this through, Matt, I thought of Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8, where we read, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place which he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. You know, just think, think about that image. God calls him from Ur of the Chaldees, and it says, the text says that in obedience, in the obedience of faith, he went out because there was an inheritance ahead that God was promising him, but he didn't know where he was going. And, and, and this is the place that Protestant ministers find themselves in. 
the place I found myself in, and so many that I talk with now through the Coming Home Network, so many that I know and talk with, that they're being called to go out. And they're being called to go out in obedience, and they don't even know where they're going. Just do not know where they're going. And uh, that's how it was for me. Yeah, it's uh, scary stuff, um, even if you're not uh, leaving a, a job in ministry. But if you are, it's it's triple. And, you know, we talk with some people who, you know, who languish for a good long while trying to figure out where they're going to land mm-hmm. employment-wise. Um, some people find something like, boom, uh, overnight. <clears throat> and it's yeah. <clears throat> it's always a, a, a tricky thing to share those stories. Because, um, as you know, I do that with the journey home. Like, I'm the stories I'm telling are from people who kind of have landed on their feet. And there's always kind of that temptation right. to say, well, yeah. this was, this is how it works, right? You turn around and the next thing you know, it's all, it all works out. Somebody, you know, you're in a hugely demand, you know, in demand situation, right? People just want you to come run their apostolate. And it's, it's just a mix. It's a spectrum. Yeah. Um, you know, some people, and you never know what, what God's got cooking for, for anybody. I mean, there's no, I mean, that's why it's when people ask, you know, what do you do when you're a pastor who leaves mm-hmm. his ministry and becomes Catholic? I'm like, well, um, I know we told the last guy, but your situation is different. <laughs> you know I mean? It's just, it just is what well, it is, you know? And I'm, I'm so glad that you make that point because, well, even in Abraham's life, Abraham obeyed and he went and not knowing where he was going. And he wandered around this place, you know, the land of Canaan, for many, many years, God promised him a son. He never had a son. He ends up having to go down into Egypt. He has to come back. He has to fight a war. It's many years before what God is promising him becomes, you know, begins to come to pass. And so, yes, you're entirely right. Everybody's story is going to be different. Some people may be asked to walk a path that is very much like the path our Lord walked, just the path of the cross in this. You know, I'm just... I just want to put out the word that God might surprise you. This is the word I want to put out to pastors who are contemplating this. Because when I walked out, I didn't know where I was going. And there were some months when I was really, really frightened. And there were months when I was doing this cold calling all day long and not earning a dime. In fact, I remember one night, Matt, I'd been headhunting for probably three months at this time. And I had finally gotten a contract with a company and I finally had found a candidate or someone for them and they had interviewed the person they'd gone through you know phone interview face-to-face interview and they had made her an offer for a position as a microbiology supervisor and she was going to call me on a particular night and tell me what her decision was and so again I've been doing this cold calling for months now I remember we had friends over to our house for dinner and they were sitting at the table and whatever they were talking about I haven't got a clue because I could, the only thing I could think about was that this candidate was going to call me at 7 p.m. and was going to tell me her decision about taking the job. If she takes the job, I make the first commission that I've made. If she doesn't take the job, I make nothing. Not even a, one slender wafer-thin dime, okay? And um, so these people are talking. I don't know what they're talking about. And I go to the phone at 7 o'clock. I go back into my bedroom and I call her on the phone or she calls me, I don't remember. And she says, Ken, she goes, well, first of all, I just want to thank you. You've been so helpful. And I'm just like, oh. Oh, that sounds like a breakup call right there. Yeah, Ooh. <laughs> it was, it was. But she wasn't going to take the position. And, and, and so I walked back, you know, or I, I dragged myself back into the dining room and sat down with my friends. But, okay, so, so it was really stressful and really hellacious 
And in my situation, at least financially, even though I continued to hate the cold calling, it began to turn around and I began to make a living and even to make a, a better living money-wise than I had made as a pastor. And so I just want to put that out that God might surprise you, some of you men who are, and, and, and women uh, who are worried and desperately worried that if you leave the positions you have, that somehow you will never make another dime. Somehow you'll slip into poverty. Okay, then there was the issue of my family and my kids. Okay, our son Kenny was very young, and so he kind of came with us over into the church. My daughter's story was much more difficult in that she, she remained an evangelical for another six years. And I, I, I mentioned on our last episode how for a time we even drove her to the church that I had pastored on Sunday morning and dropped her off and then picked her up. So she remained an evangelical. She was drawn toward the church slowly because we had great conversations over the years, Matt. And uh, in fact, I remember climbing up into a really big tree with Blythe and sitting and talking about the Eucharist one day. She was asking me questions and I was talking to her about it. We had great conversations and there were things about Catholicism that really moved her. Like I found this beautiful little documentary about Padre Pio that I gave her to watch. And it was a documentary on his life and it showed the, the stigmata, it showed his life, it showed what happened when he died, all the people that streamed in there to see him and all. And, she was so moved by that that she would show it to all of her evangelical friends, you know, like, hey, here's Padre Pio. So there were things that were drawing her. But the way I like to put it, and uh, shoot me down if this is just not culturally uh, appropriate to be saying what I'm saying, but hey, I think this is a fact of life. Teenage girls will not even go to the bathroom without a friend. Correct? What? Well, You're I, not willing to you say correct? You me to back you up Are on you that? Willing to say? I'm not willing to a say anything girl will not. that. A teenage girl will not even go to the bathroom without a friend with her. She was not going to become Catholic alone. That's the point that I'm making. Even though I knew that she was being drawn toward the Catholic faith, she wasn't going to do it alone. She attended a very kind of a famous, very vibrant, non-denominational evangelical church in Southern California. There was a church pastored by the, the very famous Pastor Ch uh, Francis Chan. That's the church that she went to. And, and her friends were all evangelical. That was the way it was. Okay, but then this is what happened. She meets a young man who's also an evangelical. But lo and behold, he happens to be an evangelical who when she tells him, by the way, my mom and dad became Catholic. My dad was a pastor and they left and they became Catholic. Rather than rejecting it outright as heresy, he was curious. Just as the Lord had given me curiosity and just as the Lord gave you curiosity at that critical moment, he was curious. And so Blythe brings her boyfriend now over to our house and she says, um, his name is Kirby, he says, Kirby wants to hear why you became Catholic. And uh, Matt, I can still remember sitting on the back patio at our house I'm like smiling, you know, like, like a madman because here's an evangelical who actually wants to know, you know, why someone would become Catholic. And we talked for a couple hours on the back patio and I could tell that a lot of the things I was saying were really hitting him. They were really fitting that he had a background as well where he had begun to struggle with many of the issues related to being a Protestant, the authority issues, Sola Scriptura, other things. Um, and he was kind of attracted to the emerging church movement in some ways. Um, I spent so, a little time in that myself, yeah. Uh, and what's interesting is that depending on what place in the continuum of that you are in, you could be extra interested in Catholicism. 
Yeah, some people are interested in it, like yeah. they're interested in like world music, right? Like they're not actually interested in Catholicism; they just want to seem cultured. Uh, and they're like, "Oh, I like all mm-hmm. kinds of Christianities. Catholicism is one of my favorites." Like you know, and there are others who are like, "Man, this emergent church sure is begging and borrowing and stealing from a whole bunch of traditions." I wonder, like, what if yeah. we like actually fully respected the traditions that like we're like cherry picking here, you know? Yeah, that's a that's yeah, a very interesting that's place for him to have been. Yeah, and it, so you can see. I think you know more about the emerging church movement than I do, and so you can kind of see how someone attracted in that way might be a, a bit open to history or to the more ancient church liturgy and all that, right? So yeah, I mean. So anyway, it struck me a glancing blow. The emergent church movement mm-hmm. did. You know, I was wounded, but not unto death. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> not unto death. Okay, so we're sitting on the back patio, and I'm telling my story. And I look and behind him, just sort of subtly behind him is my daughter. And she's like smiling from ear to ear. Okay. Cause she really likes this guy. I mean, this may be the guy they're really hitting it off with each other. And she sees him listening intently and interested and asking questions. And anyway, to, to kind of cut to the chase, my daughter and Kirby end, end up becoming Catholic. Both. They end up getting married and you know how some converts, when they become Catholic, they take it very seriously, the teaching of the church and all. So they become a Catholic uh, couple. They get married. They now have nine children, okay? <laughs> and they have two more coming, twins, due in June, okay? So my wife and I not now live five minutes away from my daughter and her husband and soon 11 grandchildren. And this has meant a great deal to me. This has been something that I, I feel like the God, I, I feel like God has really uh, humbled me in a way and deepened my trust in him and just struck me a blow, not unto death, the other kind of blow, the unto life, okay? And this, this is why, because when I think back, Matt, to when I was contemplating becoming Catholic, all I could see was were the things I was afraid of. You know, what is going to happen? What will my family say? What will my friends say? I'm going to lose my job. What will I do to earn a living? What about my dad? What about this? I mean, all I could see were the difficult things ahead of me. I I didn't even have the imagination at that point to look ahead and to see what might be good. Okay. <laughs> you know, and, and I certainly never, never once contemplated that my daughter might become Catholic and might marry Catholic and might have a Catholic family. And I might wind up having grandchildren who in all probability would not even exist if our family had not become Catholic. Because come on, everybody knows in the non-denominational evangelical world, everybody knows what's going on. And basically the way that family is done, the way that uh, having children is done is pretty much the same as the culture at large, right? Have two, maybe have three, shut down the systems, you know, leave it, leave it at that. And so that's a very delicate way of putting it. Yeah. But it is the case. It is the case. I mean, there's like, you have roughly five times as many grandchildren as you probably would have had otherwise, mathematically speaking. Yeah. And the point is, this is something I never anticipated. So all of the things I was worried about did finally did pan out, but then the wonderful, beautiful things I never even thought about. I mean, they never even crossed my mind as a possibility have come true, which reminds me again of Abraham. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go to a place which he was to receive as an inheritance. He went out not knowing where he was going. 
So remember, Abraham goes out, God promises him a son, and he doesn't even have one son. And it's years and years and years and years before God gives him that one son. But how does Abraham end up? He ends up being referred to as the father of a multitude, <laughs> a father of many nations. In fact, you and I are, you know, according to Galatians chapter 3, we are heirs of the promises made to Abraham. We are sons of Abraham by faith. And so that story about Abraham just suddenly comes back and hits me in a brand new way because it, it's the same with me. God, when I was becoming a Catholic, I had no concept that he would make me a father of a multitude. And now yeah. my wife and I have nine grandchildren that live five minutes up the road who at times are driving me mad with their requests for grandpa this, grandpa that, can you do this, can you do that? And yet, listen, there's nothing better. There's nothing better. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, well, Father Abraham had many sons, as, as we all know. I am one of them. So are you, so are you. by the way. So let's just praise the Lord, uh, right? Let's do it. Where's my right arm? Yeah. So, uh, but you know, right this foot. is uh, this is a great point. So, so Abram, when uh, the the promise came through to him, mm -hmm. became Abraham. So I guess you went from being Ken to being Ken Ham. So, of course, that's the guy from Answers <laughs> in Ham Genesis. The, so that's you mean creation Ken museum the, guy. The uh, the creation museum guy. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. No. You're Ken, Ken Hensley. Ken Hensley. I'm, I'm I'm good with Ken Hensley here. Okay. I'm good with that. Okay, I got to run through a couple more points, so let's move on. Okay, All right, let's roll. Now, growing roll spiritually, growing, growing spiritually as a Catholic. Now, this is something that has so many elements, I have to almost just touch, I just read them almost. Okay, in the church, first of all, summary statement, in the church, I found everything that I needed to grow closer to Christ. I found everything that, I'd ha that I had before. I had fellowship with other believers. I had the Bible. I had prayer. And yet, I, you know, I just have to say it, so much richness in the Catholic tradition and the Catholic tradition and theology of spirituality that I just didn't know before. There were the lives of the saints to inspire. And I wonder if you have memories like this, but I remember when I first heard the story of St. Maximilian Colby and what he did, you know, the, the shock of hearing that story or the story about um, uh, da Father Damien, uh, of Molokai, you know, who goes to help these lepers and just contracts leprosy and dies of leprosy himself. Okay, so there are the saints. And of course, there there were equivalents in a sense within the Protestant world. There were people that were venerated and held up as being, you know, great examples of spiritual life and sacrifice and whatnot. Uh, but in the Catholic Church, there was more. There was this huge list of brilliant lives going all the way back to the time of the apostles and the post-apostolic saints and martyrs and all. There were all of these lives that could be read, that could be imitated. There was the incredible never, beauty. <clears throat> yeah, I was just gonna say, we've, we, we've barely scratched the surface of them. You know, any of us who have been studying, you know, I've been studying for 17 years and you've been studying for longer than that. And I feel like every few weeks I find another one <clears throat> who I've never heard of before. And it's just an incredible yeah. story. I mean, it was like that happened all the time for me. I mean, you you know, when, when it, I remember we had these in the Christian bookstore where I worked, we had like a rack. It was like the the heroes of the mm -hmm. faith. You know, it was like, you, you know, kind of young adult biographies of like Corey Ten Boom mm -hmm. and like uh, um, Richard Wormbrand and like Jim Elliott. And, you know, it's like a rack. Mm -hmm. It's like four mm -hmm. on each side, like, 
you know, four sides. And that's the, that's the rack of these are your heroes. And they're all like from like 17, 1800 or later. And then you go yeah. into like even the smallest, tiniest Catholic bookstore. And it's just like six things of holy cards. And each of them has got like they're alphabetical. And you just like A through C is like one chunk of that. You know, it's it's amazing. And I mean, I remember finding just some of those people like mm-hmm. like Raymond Nanatis. I was like, who is this guy? Like you read the story and, you know, he's this guy. They call him Nanatis because he was like delivered by C-section. Then you realize he like decided to trade himself for Christian galley slaves so that he could try and convert the mm-hmm. captors and he got so good at it, they, like, drilled a hole through his lips and padlocked them together. I'm like, and every day you're just discovering more stories like this, more and more, and it's just, it's endless. I, I don't think I, I think I expected mm-hmm. to know more about St. Patrick and St. Francis. I don't think I expected to have, like, thousands upon thousands of these stories the way I discovered um, as I was coming into the church. Well, yeah, I mean, there's the entire liturgical calendar where every single day of the year there's some saint being remembered or celebrated or, you know. Dozens of them, actually. Um, there, there, there are continual feasts, continual memorials, holy days. The, the, there, there's this, this gigantic cloud of witnesses, to use the term, uh, the, the, the phrase from Hebrews chapter 12, of, of, of saints to be imitated. Then there was the beauty of Catholic churches, just some of the most gorgeous buildings on earth, designed so that when you walk in the door, you think you've walked into heaven. You know, I, I was in Spain a few years ago when I went into the cathedral in Seville, and it's just mind-blowing. You walk into that cathedral, and you're like, can I stay here forever? Is there a possibility? Can I just throw a little sleeping bag over in the corner and just live here? So there's the, there, there's the art. There, there are the stained glass windows. There are all these other things. But, but then things even more important. There were the customs, beautiful customs, the sacramentals, like crossing yourself when you go into a church, touching the holy water. You, you know, I remember, well, I, I remember, but it still stays with me. To this day, when I walk into a Catholic church and I, and I touch the holy water with my finger and I cross myself in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, you know, it's so simple and yet such a, a profound remembrance of everything it means to be a Christian. Your baptism, being baptized into Christ, being baptized into his church, and you know, doing everything you do in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, this is something that has kind of really bothered me, that because this is something Catholics do, most of the Protestants I knew, at least my, world, my realm of the Protestant world, will have nothing to do with crossing themselves, you know? Just, just throw that out. And yet, I remember being shocked when I realized how ancient, how ancient this custom was. This is something that Christians have always done. In fact, let me read you a funny quote or two here. here here's Tertullian, writing in the early 200s. So this is long before the supposed apostasy, right, under Constantine, where the church becomes Catholic and falls away from this simple... Or shortly you know, after, uh, if you're a Mormon, right, you know. Yeah, but the simple evangelical gospel. Okay, well, here's, here's Tertullian writing in the early 200s, and he speaks of how common this custom of making the sign of the cross was in his day. This is what he says, quote, In all our travels and movements, in all our coming in and going out, in putting on our shoes, at the bath, at the table, in lighting our candles, in lying down, in sitting down, whatever employment occupies us, we mark our foreheads with the sign of the cross. And then here's one more from St. Cyril of Jerusalem writing a little bit later. Quote, Let us then not be ashamed to confess the crucified. Be the cross our seal, made with boldness by our fingers on our brow and in everything over the bread we eat, 
the cups we drink and our comings and our goings before our sleep, when we lie down, when we awake, when we are traveling, and when we are at rest. Here's the here I'm finding out that the it's, the church has always done this. Yeah, you've got Go on a boat with a goat right there. You've got in a house with a mouse, um, <laughs> in a car by the bar. Uh, I mean, it's it's it's, yeah. it's a again a, one of those practices that you just assume as an evangelical that Catholics made up in the Middle Ages. But it, yeah, yeah. it's 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 incredible. Fact, you know, you, you mentioned the architecture thing. Um, isn't the mm-hmm. picture on the main homepage of the Coming Home Network website? Is that from one of your travels to Spain? One of the insides that's of the cathedral. That's the Cathedral that, of Seville. That's yeah, the, that's what I that's thought. That's a ceiling. That's a ceiling shot. So now you know. Yeah, if I, you've ever been to the Coming Home Network website, and you wonder, like, what is that church? That's Ken from his travels. Yep, and you're seeing just the top of this cathedral that is this beyond belief, you know. But yeah, it's it's totally beautiful. And by the way, I think that Dr. Seuss probably got his inspiration from reading Tertullian. That's my idea now. Yeah. Vincent of Lorenz, maybe. No doubt. Yeah. Okay, but look, so I'm talking about spiritual growth, and I'm talking about the customs of the church, the beauty of the church, this great cloud of witnesses, the saints of the church. And I haven't even, I mean, I'm I'm not even going to talk about the sacraments of confession and the Eucharist. There's nothing more powerful than going into a confessional and shutting the door and telling a human being your sins and hearing the words of God, of Christ's forgiveness through that human being. This is something, well, you can't know it unless it's a part of your life. And then receiving the Eucharist, the body and blood of Christ, soul and divinity, receiving it. There were the monasteries to visit. There were the prayers to learn, the rosary, feast days to celebrate, an entire liturgical calendar. I'm going on and on. And then maybe, uh, I mean, one of the deepest ones, a deep tradition of Catholic spiritual theology, theology of sanctification. The first time I read St. John of the Cross's book, The Ascent to Mount Carmel, I thought that all my fuses were going to simply blow. He takes you through a process of sanctification that is so powerful and so frightening that you can't follow him. I mean, I mean, I remember <laughs> sincerely reading him for a while and just thinking, dude, I can't go as deep as this guy wants me to go, you know? take the book, throw it on the shelf. Maybe I'll read it later in life. I mean, this guy is so hardcore about where he's leading you. But, but the tradition of spiritual direction that exists within the Catholic Church too in spirituality. Um, I remember when I met a priest of Opus Dei probably 12 years ago, I wasn't doing that well spiritually. I was kind of in a slump. I had quit being a headhunter and I was working as a stockbroker and so now my life was all about sell, buy, you know, buy, buy, sell. And it, it can put you in a weird spot. And I, I was not responding to it like a saint. And I was kind of, my, my spiritual life was really in the doldrums. And I, I walked into um, Father Paul's office and sat down because I had been told that he was a great, great spiritual director, and he is. And um, spiritually speaking, I nearly staggered into his office and I kind of told him what was going on with me and and I remember at the end of the conversation, Matt, this is, just cracks me up because at the end of the conversation, after hearing where I was at, he said, Ken, he said, do you think that when you're driving to work in the morning, do you think that you could pray one decade of the rosary? Do you think you could try to do that? <laughs> you know, try, yeah. Okay, which kind of gave me a, kind of put a mirror in front of me and showed me where I was, you know. You know, do, do you think maybe you could one de- decade? That, that'd be like, you go to like a, you go to like a gym and you join the gym and you hire a, 
a, a trainer. How about you just try lifting trainer? the bar? We won't put any weights on it or anything. Just lift the bar. Just lift yeah. the bar. You need me to yeah, spot it, you? You need me to spot you there, bud? Yeah. Well, yeah, we're at the end of your first session. He says, Matt, he says, let me ask you this. Do you think you could do one push-up each morning? Can you, can we start? But do there, it sincerely. You know? Do it sincerely, you know. Yeah. O- okay, well, that's where I started, you know. Can you do... And, and I still meet with Father Paul, but can you do one decade of the ro- rosary? And now for, for years now, I mean, thank God, for years now I've been attending mass seven days a week, going to mass every morning. And this is another thought that I've had. When I was a Baptist pastor, because if, you know, everyone says, well, Catholics don't care anything about God, you know, Catholics are just into tradition and all. When I was a Baptist pastor, Matt, I'm trying to imagine if I had said to my congregation, I'm going to be in the church every single morning for prayer, and I invite you to come, you know. How many people would have come? That's the question I have in my mind. How many people would have come if I said that? And yet, I go to my little parish here in Fillmore, California, and there are 70 people, I'd say, 60 or 70 people, every single morning of the week who are there, many of them there 20 minutes early to pray the rosary, and then there for Mass every single morning. And there are confessions there as well. And so, you know, it's just, all I'm saying is that within the Catholic Church, the, the riches, the profound riches that are available for one to grow spiritually are just beyond belief if, if one is willing to, you know, uh, grab a hold of them. Well, you know, and, it's interesting. Uh, the daily Mass question, um, I think it's worth reflecting upon and i don't know i mean when i was in bible college we had chapel three times a week and it was uh required mm-hmm. and we had chapel checkers mm-hmm. right and they, mm-hmm. and they did make oh. sure if your seat was in, and sometimes you get somebody to sit in your seat for you right uh somebody who you had pay more someone skips. i think you had like six skips a semester you know you traded uh you know yeah goods and service i don't i can't remember how you got it to got it to work you know like credits at the at the grill or something but uh you know, one of the reasons that I can't, I don't think it would have possibly worked to have daily church services in any congregation I was in is that all that is dependent upon you wanting to, I mean, what's the draw? The draw is not Jesus Christ, body, blood, soul, and divinity present in the Eucharist to be received every day mm-hmm. of the week. The draw is, well, pastor's got a lesson to lead you. Well, I've got my Bible at my house. <laughs> like... Yeah, you know, you and if there's only going to be like 15 people there, you know, I mean, I mean, I'll go to a Bible study on Wednesday night, you know, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it would have been, it would have been difficult. Of course, you know, it's difficult for, you know, most people who work a regular schedule nine to five to get to daily mass. Anyway, it's mm-hmm. a lot of retirees, but still that's, there's something that's drawing beyond the personality of the priests, you know, and all of you would have had would have been like, well, Pastor Ken's going to come up with something really interesting on Thursday. That's just as interesting as what you said on Wednesday and Tuesday. I guess we better show up every day just in case, you know. And, and yeah, this has to do thing. with the. This has to do with the objectivity of the sacraments. Yeah, oh, exactly. You hit it, the nail on the head. You're coming to receive something that you cannot just receive at home. So it's not a matter of just a, a Bible study and a prayer time, which someone could say, "Well, I can do that at home." That's often but, um, involved, right? I mean, you get you often get like yeah. a little bit of a of a homily exploring the text. Sometimes you don't get a homily at all, right? <laughs> you know, I mean, it's uh, yeah. it's an interesting phenomenon. Okay, there's one more point that I want to raise, but let me just sort of summarize so far that uh, it has not been a straight road for our family. It's not been a straight road. There have been ups, and there have been downs. 
you have to try to make friends. You have to try to make new friends. You have to find ways to connect yourself. But over the years, we have not only found a home in the church, but we've found a home that is so much more beautiful than we thought, even when we were looking forward to it, um, what I had in my mind. And the last thing I want to talk about is the issue of ministry, okay? And leaving my Protestant ministry and thinking I will never minister again or what will it be like and all that. Um, I want to tell the story of that just real quickly because many, many of my evangelical you know, friends, yeah, their view of, of Catholicism is that Catholics don't care that much about God. Catholics don't care about spiritual things. They don't pray. Uh, Catholics are just ritualistic, that kind of a thing. And I want to say that from the very, very beginning, I found that to not be true. Because way back when I was in RCIA, immediately after RCIA, I began to be asked to speak and to teach in the parish by the priest that had brought us in. And I found immediately that the Catholic people there loved, they loved a convert and they loved hearing from me. They loved hearing me teach the Bible to them. They loved hearing my story and the reasons that someone would have for becoming Catholic. They loved it. You know, they were not dead spiritually. And in fact, they were just very much inspired um, by the things I had to say. And, and it showed me how much they really love the Lord. They may not be the same as Protestants. Some of them, for instance, don't know where things are in the Bible. But the idea that they don't have faith and they don't love Christ, I, I, I began to, re- to learn right away is not true. It's is just not true. Um, so I was asked to speak there. Pretty soon I was being asked to speak at conferences, which I didn't know anything about that either, but I was asked to speak at Catholic parishes, Catholic conferences. There was a rather large conference in Southern California every year called the National Catholic Family Conference that I was asked to speak at. And so, lo and behold, here I was afraid that I would never minister again. And when I was a pastor, I'm preaching to a relatively small congregation of Baptists. Suddenly I find myself at the Long Beach, you know, uh, whatever it was called, Civic Auditorium or the Anaheim Convention Center, and I'm speaking to five, 6,000 people at a National Catholic Family Conference. So that kind of cracked me up. Some years go by. Now, during this whole time, I'm working as a, as a, as a contractor, as a headhunter, and then as a stockbroker. But as years went by, I spoke on a regular basis at parishes. I spoke at conferences. Um, some years back, I was asked to come to Haiti to, to speak um, to a national Catholic conference there. And I, I want to mention this because Haiti is just blasted now with the, with the recent earthquake that occurred and the political turmoil there, the gang violence and all this. I mean, Haiti is in really bad shape. But flying to Haiti, and I spoke to a crowd that at an outdoor national conference that they estimated as 70,000 people, okay, outside. And I was asked to tell my, my story and also to speak on the, on the Eucharist one time. And so, again, I was sitting up on the podium, I remember, Matt, and I, I was looking across the altar, and the archbishop was there, and another bishop was there, and these people, and the president of Haiti was sitting there across the altar. And there were like, again, the estimate, 70,000 people sitting out in this gigantic field and these are people that had mainly walked from the villages in which they live. These are people who have no running water. They have no electricity. And, they, and it was hot. And they walk there and they sat on the ground for a three-day conference, sleeping in sleeping bags out in the dirt and the grass. And I have never seen, I just want to put in this word for the Catholics of Haiti, I have never seen a crowd of Christians 
sing with more enthusiasm, pray, stand up, jump up and down, and listen for three days straight, you know, and listen to a Protestant pastor from California coming out to tell his, the story of his conversion and ba- basically uh, uh, giving me a, a massive standing ovation just because I was there and just because I was telling him my story. So the idea that I would never be in ministry just falls. And the idea that Catholics don't care just falls. You know, these people were really amazing and, uh, and lovely. And I wish I could go back there and do it again. Um, but not only coming home then to the church, but coming home to a sense of a church that is truly global and is international, that is everywhere in the entire world. And then, of course, just the last leg of this whole thing, um, through a series of mir- miracles is the only way I can describe it. Um, somehow I wound up not being a stockbroker anymore, and I wound up working at the Coming Home Network um, and doing uh, doing something that fits with my whole life story, I guess. You know, that is talking with Protestant ministers all over the world who have become curious about the Catholic faith, are studying, are learning, and some of them are uh, freaking out as they begin to really catch a glimpse of the truth and beauty of the church. And um, and the conviction begins to settle on them that they're going to have to do something about it at some time. Um, and so that's what I do now. I'm back in full-time ministry after 18 years of working in other fields. And I again, I just put that out as encouragement to the men and women who are struggling right now and don't see a future. It is really an interesting thing. And <clears throat> I, I know how it worked in your case, uh, coming to the Coming Home Network and, and some of the weird experiences that I had that ended up me here. Me here. And I, I, I know that, you know, I know mostly the stories to the people who are here. And I, it makes me mm-hmm. wish that we could have a staff of like 50 because there's so many amazing people out there with so many skills. And if we had, if everybody would go to chnetwork.org and click donate, we'd be able to employ all these people because they're amazing. But, uh, but even just seeing some of the stories of the people that you've talked to, Ken, um, you know, who have come in not knowing where the road was going to lead and God opened a door that they would have never, like if they had been writing the game plan for it, they wouldn't, it w- this door wouldn't have occurred to them. And it, and it works out, you know, and, <clears throat> or even people who go into, uh, like, for instance, the, the people who uh, are Anglican priests who come in with absolutely no guarantee of, uh, of the possibility that they'll become Catholic priests. You know, they don't know, and they're not guaranteed. Mm-hmm. They're basically told, you come into the Catholic Church as a layman, and we'll see what happens. And some of them who have found extraordinary places to work in the workforce, but have been able to plug into their parish as teachers and as catechists and and just have had an extraordinary, you know, uses of their gifts in that capacity mm-hmm. doing, you know, and, it, you know, I've talked to some of them who like the thing that they love the most about being a pastor was the teaching part, not the administrative and the finance and all that. And now they get to do only that part that they really loved. <laughs> you yeah, know, it's, yeah, it's amazing yeah, yeah. to see how, how God, uh, how God works in it, but it's, man, it's scary. It's scary when you don't know what that other side's going to be like. Um, and uh, I mean, I think that just drives home the importance of having this this group of people, which is a lot more than just you and me, Ken. It's like hundreds and hundreds and even thousands of people yeah. who've walked this road to be able to just like enlist them in prayer and, and to, to share that story with them and, and ask what they did when they were in that situation. I can't tell you how much of a value it's been for me, even... 17 years in the church, I still am like, 
you know, I feel like a rookie and just like relying on people who have been through the same stuff. <clears throat> it's such a huge thing. Such a huge thing. Yeah, and you're making me think about the fact that we have a Coming Home Network retreat coming up in one month, a little over a month from now that I'm looking forward to. I think we have about nine or ten current or former Protestant pastors that are going to be there, many of them with their wives too, um, um, many of them still on the road, still on the journey, and we're going to have that time with them at the retreat to talk about these things, and it, it, it is it is quite amazing. And I, I guess my final word, I'm just this is my story. This is basically what happened in my life. And, um, and I really hope that some Protestant pastors who are contemplating this move will, be, will find some encouragement from the things that have been said here. That's my hope. That's my prayer. That they will be encouraged to think, you know what? It might be frightening, but who knows? I mean, it's a great adventure too. You know, who knows what lies on the other side, you know, what lies on the other side. You know, because I never thought I would wind up here. You know, I just, I didn't think I'd wind up here. I thought I was going to be a stockbroker until I fell over dead, you know, or, or fell over dead from being a stockbroker. Either way. <clears throat> what does so uh, Chesterton things, say? Something about how, uh, yeah, how a, an inconvenience is only an adventure uh, wrongly considered and how an adventure is just an inconvenience rightly considered. So, uh so yeah, mm. there you have that. But but you mentioned retreats, and um, you know both the series of episodes I did, kind of walking through my story, and the series of episodes you've done, Ken, which is just concluded mm. with this, um, are really structured along kind of the the questions we ask and the things that we walk through with our people as we're doing our coming home network retreats. And I very much encourage you; they're not just for uh, Protestant pastors and <clears throat> people who are on the journey. They're for anybody who's, you know, at some kind of space on their journey where they're struggling with something and are looking for support and community. But if you are a pastor, a clergy member, um, please do connect with us because uh, we have scholarships available because we want to make sure that the pastors um, don't have to pay a nickel <clears throat> to get out there and to do the retreat. So uh, if that's you and you're in that situation, please do give us a call. We have uh, very generous donors who have, you know, tried to make sure that our pastors who are in situations like the ones Ken just described in his own life um, have the support that they need and the fellowship that they need uh, along the way. So chnetwork.org slash retreats if you want to tap into that. So, uh, Ken, it's been a journey, okay. man. Enough. Yep. All right. Well, <laughs> until next time, uh, we encourage you to go to chnetwork.org, go to our online community, and visit with all kinds of people like Ken and myself who are just fellow pilgrims along the way, community.chnetwork.org. Thank you so much for hanging out with us, and we'll talk to you again soon. Okay, we'll see you next week, and we'll start up with something else. 